Hey church family, my name is Mike. I work with students at West Chicago. And I'm Emily, I work on our Kids Life team at the West Chicago campus. Mike, it's four weeks from Easter. Do you have any like funny memories or moments from Easter as a kid? I don't know about one particular moment. I just remember anytime there was like a holiday, like Easter and going to church, you had to dress really fancy. Yes, that is true. Like uncomfortable fancy though, right? Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. What's the most uncomfortable thing you wore like Easter or? I think like there isn't a single little boy in the world who likes wearing a tie. So probably that, Yeah. you know, but I would always get away with it. I would wear like this bolo necktie in the nineties, you know, it was a cool thing. I don't and even know what that is. Yeah, that's okay. But I could keep it loose and kind of get away with it. I have always had like itchy socks or like tights and like a bonnet. Like, mom, why did you make me wear a bonnet? I don't know. I don't know. Our Easter services though, the registration is now open for Good Friday and for Easter. So we're really excited as a church to remember and celebrate this with you, whether you're joining us on campus or online. You can register at wheatonbible.org slash Easter. Yeah, and you know, service times are gonna be a little different this year to accommodate as many people as possible. So make sure to check online for your campus's times. Tonight is our All Church Prayer Night at five o'clock at our West Chicago campus. The service will be bilingual as we'll join with our Iglesia del Pueblo campus. You can register online at wheatonbible.org slash next steps. Yeah, and I love these types of things. Uh, anytime that we can gather outside of the Sunday morning experience, I feel like that's where I've connected the most and really grown the most in church. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, you know, and if you're in that situation where you're new around here, that can be an awkward spot. So whether it's the prayer night or even doing something like the growth track could be a great way to get connected. If you're interested in learning more about us as a church family, um, about ways that you can get connected, check out growth track. It's happening today at 1 p.m. For more information, go to wheatonbible.org slash growth track. Yeah, I'm excited for you guys to join us in that and for our All Church Prayer Night. Thanks for spending a part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week. Good morning. I will add my welcome to Wheaton Bible Church. I'd like to take a minute to acknowledge the person who played our prelude. That is Debbie Nichols. She and her husband Greg are Wheaton Bible Church missionaries in the Czech Republic. They're on a bit of a stricter lockdown right now, so the words in the hymn that she was playing were from the heart and was a way to prepare our hearts for worship. So thanks to Debbie and thanks to Greg and Debbie for their service to the Lord and to the people of the Czech Republic. Well, as our first hymn says, um, I would love for this place to be a place where we rejoice together, where we weep together, where we walk together. And might I encourage us maybe to reach out to somebody that you have not seen in person, a fellow church member in the last year or so, and make this a place indeed like that. May this also be a place and may this worship time be a time where the afflicted find grace, where the weak find strength. And I even think about the prodigal son and the way he returns to his father, his father with open arms. May we do the same and run to our heavenly father who has open arms for us through the love of Christ. And may we find special power in doing that corporately as a church body this morning. Let's stand for our call to worship as we read responsively from the Psalms. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for the joy to the living God. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. 
I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you.
tables uh, out there. I want to invite you to get that out right now. If you're at home, uh, hopefully you have something that you can join us with uh, to do this, uh, this ordinance that the church has. So we come to this table. This is a table that for generation after generation after generation, people have come to to remember. This is something that we do regularly, but it's not something that we should take for granted. It's a moment to reflect on the meal that Jesus had with his disciples. And this is a discipline that we do because we are a people that forget. We forget often. And so we need to be reminded of the gracious love that our Savior had that he was willing to go to a cross, to shed his blood, to let his body be broken so that we could be united with God. And so Jesus gathered his disciples together and made it really clear that we need a savior. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, this is something that we want to do together if you have not given your life, surrendered your life to Christ, it's okay. I want to encourage you to just observe what's going on. And maybe you're here with kids. 
And I want to encourage you that this doesn't have to be a quiet time. I want to encourage you as parents to be teaching your kids what communion is all about. So if you need to talk and and share what the, the bread is all about, what the cup's all about, then do that. Because that's what Jesus did. He communicated and he taught for us to remember. So let me encourage you to peel back the top there, and you're going to find the bread. And so in Matthew 26, we see this scene where Jesus is with his disciples, and he it says this, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he gave thanks, when he gave thanks for what was to come, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. You want to peel back your cup there. The text goes on that as they were sitting at this table, he then took a cup. And again, it says, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And he said this, drink from it, all of you. Father, we are a a people that need you. We want to thank you for giving us this moment, this table, to remember the work that you have done. And I'm reminded as I read this text that in the midst of the most brutal hours of your life, you gave thanks that you were willing to take this step so that we would be united with the Father. And so we are grateful. We are so thankful for what you have done. I ask that in these moments, that as we worship together, that, that we would raise these praises to you, that our ears would be open to the words that we sing, to the the scripture that is talked about. And that as we leave here, we would remember who you are and the great love that you have for us. So we worship you. May this put a smile on your face. It's your name I pray. Amen. Please stand and sing with us.
A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Well, good morning, friends. I hope you have had a great week uh, this past week as you come into this morning. My name's Phil Shields. I'm one of the teaching pastors here 
at Wheaton Bible Church, and it is a joy and blessing to get the opportunity to worship with you, worship together. If you're with us online, I'm so glad that you chose to be with us this morning. We want to welcome you, and if you are new to Wheaton Bible Church, wondering about us, I want to encourage you to put a question into the comment bar there, and uh, we have a team that will be willing to talk with you. So I don't know about you, but this past week, I loved the weather. Finally, the sun is coming out, and the snow is going away, and as the seasons start to change, it was reminding me of really why coming out of winter and going into spring is so amazing. It's because whenever the seasons change, we end up starting to approach Holy Week. See, spring is like ushering in that time where we spend time focused on when Jesus was arrested. He stood trial, he was crucified, died, and rose again. So in preparation for that, we have been going through a series on the Upper Room Discourse. You find that in, in John, in the book of John, and so I want to encourage you to turn in your copy of the Scriptures or turn on your copy of the Scriptures and go to John 17. Tom just read for us our text this morning, and so I'm not going to take time to reread that to you. But it's this beautiful uh, piece of Scripture. It's this beautiful text where Jesus is spending his last hours with his disciples. And so, as you might expect, uh, when someone is about ready to pass away, they want to make sure that they pass on all the vital information to their loved ones. And Jesus does that. So he has spent, and we've spent, the past eight weeks looking at that text and what uh, Jesus was teaching his disciples. And then we get to John 17, and things shift a little bit. Now we hear Jesus praying. And it's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. And so here's what I want to do. I want to take a look at the first five verses of John but I want to pray for us that our minds would be open to whatever God wants to say to us. So will you pray with me? Father, it, um, it is amazing that in your last hours, you taught what you did to your disciples and to us, and in your last hours, you pray this prayer that we're about ready to look at. And so I ask that you would remove from every home that is watching, from every uh, person that is sitting here with us, remove every distraction that the evil one wants to bring. And open our hearts and minds to see you in all of your glory. Please, Lord, uh, make it so that I am not even a distraction, but speak to us through your word, and may it be alive for us. It's your name I pray, amen. 
So John Piper, he was a pastor in Minnesota, and Piper ends up, in one of his books, he tells this story about a a married couple. This couple uh, ended up taking an early retirement. They retired when he was 59 and she was 51. So this couple retires, and Piper tells the story. He says, the couple took an early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast, and now they live in Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler. They play softball and collect shells. Piper went on to say this. He said, picture them before Jesus on the day of judgment. And as they stand before Jesus, they are able to say, Look, Lord, see my shells? Piper goes on to say of how much of a tragedy that is. Now, whenever I hear that story, I have to understand that you and I, we... Uh, live our lives, whether we're in school or we're uh, in the workforce or in our home or in the retirement years, but we live our lives giving glory to something or someone. We spend our lives. In fact, you need to understand that you are a glory-giving factory. That's what you are. You have the ability, you and I have the ability to give glory to other men and other women. When we live to gain recognition from others, we desire and live for the glorifying opinion of someone else. We give glory and we want glory. We give glory to the possessions around us. We give glory to people. We give glory to our bank accounts. So let me start this morning by asking, how, who, and what are you glorifying? How are you glorifying through your time or uh, the the money that you have, the, the focus that you're putting on things? And so as we look at that and think about that, we then read this text in John 17. We see these first five verses and we end up being given another opportunity to hear Jesus pray, but also for Jesus to teach us and tell us what he desires for us. So this is why I believe in the first five verses of this text, we end up seeing a truth that um, we have to be focused on. In fact, as we leave here today, we need to remember this because it impacts every area of our lives. See, that simple truth is this, is that a life lived to glorify God is a life lived in the shadow of the cross. See, if you are going to be someone that is glorifying God, if you say, I'm a disciple and I want to glorify him in every aspect of my life, you will live in the shadow of the cross and let the cross be your foundation for everything you say, do, and think. 
And so I want to move through these first five verses, and we're going to look at glory. We're going to look at glory persevered, glory known, and glory accomplished. And so let's start by looking at this text. See, Jesus has just finished teaching his disciples. In fact, this was probably the most important conversation that he ever had with his disciples because of what was coming. And then he concludes his teaching and he starts to pray. He doesn't even invite them into it. He just starts talking to the Father. And he ends up sharing these words. Now, I want you to remember something. He ends up praying this prayer just hours away from being arrested, from being persecuted, from standing trial, from being crucified, from being viewed as a worthless criminal. And he says these words. Now, when Jesus says something, we got to look at it and say, well, he is teaching no matter what he does. And that is true. But if you were to jump back in the Gospels and you were to go to Matthew 6, what you would find there is you would find Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. It's a beautiful text that we've looked at here at Wheaton Bible Church. But in that text, he spends some time teaching how to pray. You might remember this uh, if you know that text. In fact, many of you have memorized that text. When Jesus teaches us how to pray, we end up calling that the Lord's Prayer. We recite it. In fact, during this season of Lent, we are reciting the Lord's Prayer each day at noon on our social media feeds as we gather as a church online to just take a moment and pray. And so the Lord's Prayer is what we tend to know. But I want to maybe give a recommendation. And hopefully you don't yell at me for this, but this is my recommendation. That we actually change the name of the prayer in Matthew 6. See, Jesus is teaching this prayer known as the Lord's Prayer and he gives it to us so that we understand how we are to pray. But we don't ever see Jesus actually praying that prayer. Why is that? Well, Jesus was sinless. In the Lord's Prayer, we actually pray for forgiveness. Jesus didn't have to ask for forgiveness. See, that's not the prayer that Jesus prays. It's a prayer that he's teaching us to focus on on how to pray. So my recommendation is that we actually change the title of that prayer to the disciples' prayer. But if you want to know where the Lord's prayer is, you're going to turn to John 17. Because this is the prayer that Jesus prays, and it describes and gives a glimpse into the prayer life of our Savior into the relationship that he has with God the Father. See, in John 17, the curtain is pulled back and we hear Jesus praying, praying a prayer that he is not intentionally teaching us how to pray, but that he is communicating with the God the Father, the God that he loves. 
In fact, it can be said this, this way, that if you listen to the prayers of a person, you will end up being able to tell what their relationship with God is like. Now, I don't want you spending time judging everybody's prayer. But if that's true, it means that we can see what the relationship with Jesus and God is like, and we see that clearly. So we jump into verses 1 and 2, and what we find in verses 1 and 2 is that we're going to see that glory persevered. Jesus is revealing that here. And so I want you to, to look at this, and as we look at this, what we end up reading here is that Jesus spends time, and he, he stops, he prays, he looks to heaven, he gives his entire focus towards God. His focus is no longer on the 12 around him. And what we end up reading here is that it says, Father, the hour has come. The hour is an interesting phrase. It's a, a, what it actually means is that the hour of glorification has come. It's now about to start. And so when, when he says this, it's a reference to timing. Jesus is saying that this has, has come now that this hour has been ushered in. If you were to jump back in the book of John and start reading in John 1 all the way to, to chapter 17, what you're going to end up seeing is that Jesus uses a phrase over and over again. He uses a phrase uh, that we, we hear and we have to say, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? In fact, in John 2, we see Jesus' first miracle. He ends up turning water into wine. And at this wedding feast, his mom comes to him. And Mary comes and says, there's no wine. There's no wine left. And he ends up responding, well, what does that have to do with me? And he ends up using this phrase, my hour has not yet come. So in John 2, he's saying that his hour has not yet come, but the hour Jesus is referring to now in John 17 is the hour of the cross. He has been teaching his disciples that the cross is coming. See, here's what I want you to see is in the most basic of ways, this is what Jesus is saying to God. Father, I want to glorify you, so send me to my death. That's the most basic of ways. That's what he's saying. And he's praying this way because Jesus sees God in every single aspect of his life and in his death. There is not a moment or anything that separates him from being in the presence and doing the will of, of God. He is always present. So for a second, think about your prayers. Actually, I, I want you to kind of judge your own prayer. Think about how you pray, especially in your deepest trials. How do you pray? See, often we ask God for strength. We ask for things. We ask for relief or a taking away of that difficult circumstance. I mean, if we are totally honest with ourselves, we often pray to try and conform God 
to our agenda. But what we find here is that Jesus is showing us something different. Jesus is changing things. He's praying here to continually conform his will to the will of God the Father. See, this is Jesus giving us a glimpse of his heart and aligning his heart with the heart of God. See, what we end up learning as we start reading this is that often you and I view prayer as a supplement. But Jesus views prayer as the feast of nourishment. See, we tend to throw it in as a little supplement, but Jesus is saying, no, prayer is about this entire feast of nourishment. And so he's praying for the perseverance of God's will lived out. And so we see this in verses 1 and 2. See, Jesus lived to glorify God. And in the moments before he's arrested and taken to the cross, he knows that the time that God is going to be most glorified is the time that he is nailed to the cross. But look at what the text ends up saying. So the hour has come, and he says, glorify your son, not so that I can receive all the glory, but so that I can give all the glory back to you. And then he says, for you granted him authority over all people. So what we find here is is that he has been given this authority that he might give something, that he might give eternal life. And so what we find is that glory persevered because Jesus continually came into a world where he became up front and personal with the creation that he was a part of designing. And what we find is that whenever he came into this world, the reaction of mankind was a reaction that pushed against him. In fact, when we read how people responded to Jesus and how they viewed him, we end up seeing that it's very much the way that we interact with him at times. We question him. We often don't give him the attention that he deserves. We spend more time talking than listening. In fact, there's many times that we don't stand in awe of who Jesus is. And so what we read in in verse 2 is that Jesus was given authority that he might give eternal life that he might give something to the creation that can't do anything to earn it. He's freely giving. See, Jesus gives glory to God by giving us the very thing we don't deserve, eternal life. So Jesus enters this world and he lives the perfect perfect sinless life in a broken sinful world and so he prays that he can give everything that he had and everything that he is doing and that he has a holy perseverance to give glory by accomplishing God's will 
by not asking to be relieved from the, the pain, but by going into it. And he was given that authority by God the Father. And so Jesus was glory persevered because he laid down his life for the very people that were rebelling against him. See, friends, all the teaching, the miracles, the time that he spent with a variety of social classes, all the questions that he was asked, all the dealing with ungrateful people, all the selfless love that he pours out was done so that glory would be given to God. Jesus represents glory persevered. And so as glory persevered, what we have to say is, well, what, what came next? If glory persevered, then what? It means that what we end up seeing is that glory is known. See, Jesus made sure that he had this holy perseverance so that glory could be known. And so in verse 3, we end up seeing this building off of verse 2. And what we find there is this text. It says, now this is eternal life, that they know you. And notice what he says, not any God, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, Jesus was sent so that God could be known. How do you know greatness? Think about it for a second. How do you know greatness? Think of greatness when it comes to an athlete or a musician. How do you know greatness? When I was in college, I had the opportunity for two and a half weeks to be a ball boy for Dream Team 2. I spent two and a half weeks with some of the greatest basketball players ever assembled. And in fact, I got time one-on-one -on -one with Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley. I had the opportunity to be next to them, and so I watched how they worked out. I watched how they listened to their coach. I saw pieces of what made them the great players that they were. In fact, I had seen videos of when they were in high school and when they were in college, and so I knew of the greatness and how the greatness would build, and so I had all those pictures in my mind. But I also had something that most people didn't have. I got to be in their presence. I got to be where cameras weren't allowed. And I got to see how they approached things. And so for those two and a half weeks, I honestly thought that I knew them. Now, shocker, I haven't talked to those two guys since those days. But see, I had observed some things on what greatness was, and so I felt like I knew some of it. Well, i got to be honest with you, I think glory is better than greatness. And Jesus tells us in this text that we can actually know glory not as an acquaintance, but as a true son and daughter. See, we, we can look at this, and Jesus says that glory is given to God when we know God and we know Christ. 
So eternal life is given in knowing God the Father and knowing Jesus the Son. Not knowing them from videos or anything like that, but deeply knowing them, knowing who they are and that they actually speak to us. See, the the Hebrew word for knowing has a ton rolled into it. Whenever Jesus is saying this, uh, it's, he is speaking this and saying this knowing, and what he is referencing is knowing through experience, through intimacy, through obedience and commitment, and having a love for God. Jesus isn't saying that this is a knowing of just knowledge. This is of knowing of knowing someone deeply. It's sitting and journeying together. But Jesus also understands this, that that this type of knowledge of God the Father and Jesus the Son is a type that that is so deep that it understands and sees that the beauty and the glory of the two of them is seen at the cross. Seen at the cross. It's not just seeing him on the cross, but it's being in awe of the love that he had, that he willingly went to a cross to sacrifice himself for you. And in that knowing, because you are struck by the glory and the beauty that Jesus exemplifies, that you surrender your will to the will of the Father. Jesus is saying that you can know that glory. You can know it. See, here's what we need to understand. The the cross actually reveals the love of God. And so we have to start with the love of God. But what we end up finding is that the resurrection reveals the power of God's glory. It's love and glory. And Jesus goes because he wants you to live in light of glory known. See, Jesus is is praying that eternal life is offered knowing that the glory and the actions taken by God end up being seen in full, full beauty at the cross in Jesus' sacrifice. Friends, I want you to remember that if you're going to live to glorify God, you're going to live a life in the shadow of the cross. Everything that you do is from the shadow of the cross that the cross pushes you so that your life is a life lived for the glory of God. So we see that glory persevered and that glory is known and then we end up finding that glory accomplished. We see this in verse 4. In verse 4 it says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. See, it's in this, this small sentence that we see Jesus is actually confirming that his life 
Every aspect of his life, every word that he spoke, every person he ends up healing, every confrontation made was spent not for himself, but for God to receive glory, to point to the will of the Father. And so in that, what we find is that glory is accomplished because Jesus came into the very creation he was a part of putting together. And he ends up praying that he hasn't just accomplished half of the purpose, he has accomplished the entire purpose and will of God. You and I are really good at doing a job, but maybe not totally completing it. We do that in our life. But Jesus is saying, I have done every single thing and I have accomplished it. And that accomplishment gives glory to the Father. But how can Jesus, in this sentence in verse 4, how can he say this because he hasn't gone to the cross yet? Well, it's, it's really fascinating because it has to do with a person's will. See, Jesus is praying that in his life that he has glorified the Father, but that he has already decided and in his will said, I am going to glorify you in my death. In life and in death, I'm going to glorify my Father. And he's saying to God, you sent me with a purpose and I have done exactly what you sent me to do. Not half of it, all of it. See, Jesus understands something that you and I need to understand. He accomplished, he understood that he had accomplished a lot of what God sent him to do. But what he understands, and what we need to understand is this, is that Jesus' saving work didn't start on a cross at Golgotha. We tend to think that way. But his saving work started in a manger in Bethlehem. Because every single aspect of his life was given for the will of the Father. So when you read the entire Old Testament, you see the prophecies, what we end up seeing is that glory is accomplished because Jesus fulfills all of it. By Jesus coming and uniting with humanity, he made glory known, known of who he is, and he brings glory to God the Father. He accomplishes this glory. So on Good Friday... If you're here with us or if you're watching online, we can, we can come and, and we can mourn the death of our Savior. But my prayer is, is that you will see Jesus on the cross and realize that what was meant for brutality is actually the coronation of glory. 
It is where glory was accomplished. It's where glory is given. It's where glory should be praised forever and ever and ever because when he went there, he accomplished everything for you and me. So in John 17, we have five verses. And what we get is this glimpse of of Jesus praying to his father, not necessarily saying to his disciples, hey, come join me in praying. But it's a reflection of this relationship. So when we read it, it's only natural to say, well, now what? What does this have to do with with you and me? What, What does this mean for our life? Well, here's what it is. If you're a child of God, if you have seen the glory of the cross and the powerful glory of the resurrection and you've surrendered your life to Christ and you would say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, it means that we are starting to set aside the foolish places that glory is being given. That we start saying, why am I wasting my life putting glory here or in some other human when glory is seen in the gospel. When glory is seen in a Savior sacrificing himself, when glory is seen in a Savior coming back from, the de- from death and defeating death for us, that we start to set aside those foolish things, and it's understanding that the moment that you became a child of God was the moment that you were given the Holy Spirit. That you were given the Spirit, this gift, so that you as a believer can participate in the purpose and the assignment of glory that you've been given. That you have been given the will of the Father to make Jesus known, to make God known in everything that you do, in every action, in every word, that it's flowing from the shadow of the cross. And that you are giving glory to God in all aspects of your life. And that you, because you have the Spirit, that you can be faithful until the end. That your life is not spent for your glory. It's spent so that your life is putting a smile on God's face. Not to earn anything but because you are in awe of what God has done for you. And you might be saying, well, how do I get to participate in this glory? Well, further down in John 17, we're going to talk about it uh, in the coming weeks, but in John 17, 22, Jesus ends up saying this, I have given them the glory that you gave me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Church, that's a statement for us. That Jesus has given us this glory so that in our unity as a church, we would glorify every corner of the world. 
that we would go to every corner of the world, that we would glorify him by our unity, that we would say that the reason we live, the reason we breathe, the reason we work hard, the reason we do all this is because of the glory of Jesus. Jesus gave it to us. And now it's our role to participate with him. How are you praying? How are you giving glory to God with every word you say, every action you do? See, a life lived to glorify God is a life lived in the shadow of the cross. And may that be true of us. Father, I admit that sometimes glory can be very, very confusing. And yet, it can also be very easy. Because I confess that I give glory to things that I shouldn't. And so I pray that we as a church family, as friends, as brothers and sisters, that we would live our lives in awe of the gracious gift of eternal life that you've given us. And that we would surrender our will. And that we would live out the purpose and assignment you've given us. May we speak of your glory. May we live of your glory. And may you get all the credit. It's in your name I pray. Amen. As we respond with one more song, let's pray that God would be glorified through the praises of all the peoples of the earth. And let's take time to offer ourselves to him for that end. As the scripture says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let's stand and sing.
Church, uh, just as we close here, we desire as a church to see Jesus' name praised through all the nations. And one of the ways that that happens is in, in us fulfilling that mission is by partnering with uh, indigenous leaders around the world. In Russia, we're working with Pavel and Natasha Alexandrov. Maybe you have met them. But over the last 23 years, the Alexandrovs have been sharing uh, the gospel with the Chuvash ethnic community using a radio station. Using this radio station to get the gospel message out. There was a, a woman that recently talked to Natasha and she said this, my heart has come alive again. What I looked for so long, I have found in the message of the Bible. It gave me compassion to forgive my harsh and abusive father. I have a sister sick with cancer in another city. Please send her a gospel in Shuvash as well. Well, while the pandemic has restricted so many things, so many ministries, Pavel and Natasha have been able to increase their broadcast and more and more people are hearing the gospel in these stressful times. You are the generous people that help that ministry happen. It's through your giving and your generosity that we continue to be able to, to fund the programs and, and ministries like this. So I want to encourage you to give so that the kingdom is expanding and so that we continue to, to fulfill the mission that God has called us to. You can give a gift online at wheatonbible.org give, or as you're leaving here, you can place a gift in one of the boxes by the door. Let's be a generous church 
who wants to see God glorified in all corners of the earth. Father, I pray. I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters here, for myself, that we would be a people living to glorify you wherever you have placed us. It's your name I pray. Amen. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent to glorify God. Have a great week.